Welcome to Popular Technology Radio, your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Now, here's your host. All right, that is ACDC back in black. This is Pop Tech Radio, Mike Etchart, your host. I am broadcasting today from the NAM show here in Anaheim, California. It is the National Association of Music Merchants, or it used to be. They just call it NAM now. They say that's not what it stands for. It's just NAM. So, okay, NAM. We're at the NAM show. This is the music and technology trade show, which is not open to the public. So you get to hang out with us. That would be me and my good friend, Mike Castanon. He is hanging out. Mike, yes. this, we've done this before. Many years. I think this is year seven or eight. I don't recall. We don't even but recall, like, but we've been here, and it is so good to have you here and to be at NAM. This show never gets old for me because we, of course, grew up playing music. We still play music. You are an expert in music technology. I am the host of a radio show. So we're hanging out here. It's probably the funnest show on the planet to come to, right? It is a fantastic trade show. It yes. is a fantastic trade show because it's all about the technology of making music, and that's why we do a show from here every year. They don't have the numbers yet, but uh, last year it was a little over 100,000. It feels bigger this year, and it's packed. And the Saturday, the day that we happen to be recording this show, is always the busiest and the biggest. And what's fun is not only are you looking at gear and trying stuff out, but then there's a ton of artists walking around. It's fantastic. And yeah, in this program, right? Today, we're talking to a number of folks, artists, executives, uh, technologists. So it's a chock filled with a lot of information. Absolutely, absolutely. In pre-internet days, you always tried to get in to the show. And I happened to work at a guitar store when I was in college, so I came for the first time in the flesh. And as a kid, you know, we'd read all the guitar magazines and you'd see about them. But stuff happened so much more slowly then. So it was announced at the NAMM show in January. Maybe the magazine would come out in February. So you'd start hearing about stuff a month later. Now it's instantaneous. The day the show opens, stuff's online and you find out about it. But there's still the thrill of hanging out at the show and seeing the stuff and getting a chance to put your arms and hands around gear and to play and to get that rush just like when you're a kid when we were kids and as we discussed last year we talk about the old and the new the old and the new and you know we we get to touch and uh, work with some of the wonderful instruments that we all love and and then become aware of the technology again how that's changing over the years well and there's so much more power you know I was at CES earlier this month and the business of making music has changed dramatically in the sense of, of how things are so much more affordable. You get so much more for your money, just like how computers have come down in price and the technology that we're all spoiled with has spilled over into the music creation business. You've got software programs. You've got stuff. You've basically got a full recording studio and a laptop. So the tools and everything that exist for musicians now are so much more dramatic than when we were... Oh, my gosh. We were talking this morning over uh, breakfast about when we played together at San Diego State in the early 80s. Yes. New wave. At the risk of dating ourselves. Yeah. We had had your Datsun pickup truck, which was fully loaded. It was almost like a (laughs) lowrider. Packed with gear. Packed with gear. uh, Heavy, heavy PA systems and large amplifiers. Yes. And all that stuff, it's come down in price. It's gone up in features and quality. And, and gone shrunk in size. So, you know, a guitar is still a guitar, but they make wonderful, small, loud guitar amps, PA systems, keyboards, digital pianos, all that stuff that we would have 
could only dream about in the day and couldn't even fathomed. And yet that's here now. And it's all around us. And yet, as we say every year, the interesting thing about the NAM show is that you will see the latest in software technology for recording, let's say. And you'll walk down the hall and then there will be a saxophone or a flute, or a cello, and instruments that have gone essentially unchanged for decades, if not hundreds of years. So it's really an interesting trade show, unlike any other on the planet. And it's an old trade show. It's, it, I think, started in 1901. So here we are at the 118th year, give or take. Was it Chicago? I think started it started in Chicago. In Chicago That's exactly right. 30 back or 40 in, people. Back with pianos and player pianos and sheet music and things like that. And it has evolved into the show that it is today. So we are here. We are excited about it. So folks, stick around with us. We're going to listen to a little more ACDC on the way out, a little more back in black. That is the sound of a Gibson SG guitar through a Marshall stack. It doesn't get better than that. All right, folks, stick around. We're coming right back. Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. Hey, we are back at the NAM Show 2019, hanging out at the Anaheim Convention Center. Mike Etchart, Mike Castanon, and Morris Hayes is in front of us. Morris Hayes was the musical director during Prince's life with, for the New Power Generation, which started around 1990. Is that when the NPG yeah, right, came? right around that time when he did the uh, Graffiti Bridge movie. Right. So that was the introduction of the New Power Generation. Well, what's fun about NAM, of course, is people like you. Artists yeah. are here as well yeah, that's, as, that's as manufacturing representatives and things like that. So yeah. it's super nice to have you on the show. It's great to be here, man. Thanks for coming on. You know, how does one get a job with Prince? as a musical director bro uh well it didn't it certainly didn't start out that way it started out low man on the totem pole and uh you know you just work your way up over time but it's a remarkable ride it sometimes i even have a hard time getting it together in my head myself so <laughs> that it happened to you that it happened to me so you know it's, it's just one of those things that over time you know you build trust and, and eventually get your shot you know yeah and that's what it and you're a keyboard player yeah that's correct and so give us an idea of the, kind of the role that a musical director fulfills in a band like prince band which was known for having yeah. ridiculously talented musicians yeah now just as a disclaimer I, I wear the hat musical director especially during the time of prince very loosely because prince was really the musical sure. director and uh he was responsible for the arrangements and that sort of thing but what he did do is allow us great latitude to like interject our vibe into the music you know what i mean so yeah. that was a cool situation but i just was kind of like number one when he stepped away and then just had to like just the inner workings of like keeping things moving and that sort of thing just the day-to-day details of just like okay uh i'm out of town uh make a tape he'd watch the tape say fix this this that this that and the other make another tape he sees the fix then he says okay that's great now do this that that and the other and you just keep until you get to that until you stage, get to that point you know 
And there, there are stories of Prince, you guys would do a, a fantastic three, four-hour gig. Yeah. And then you go find a club at night. Yeah. And then play more until the wee hours of the morning. Uh, yeah, that was mandatory fun is what that was. Mandatory fun. Yeah. yeah I can only imagine. And would you rehearse the band without him? So, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That, that's something that we did. Um, but especially what I loved about the early 90s era was it was like going to work at McDonald's. It's like you, you showed up, you punched the clock, and you worked until you time to punch the clock out. Wow. Whether he was there or not, uh-huh. you practiced and you worked together. And that's what made the band so tight is we played so much together. Yeah. So it's a lot of times, you know, it's just what was great about that is that economically, most bands couldn't afford to do that. Right. You know, but Prince could have us come in like your own salary. You come in every day and you play. And so that just made the band like super tight. And I, I love those days because, uh, you know, we would just try to trick each other into like missing something. And it was just like, you know, I know what you're going to do. I can see inside of your head, you know. I really loved that about that era. Uh, I saw Prince in around 1993. So you uh, would have been in that group, yeah. presumably. And then I also worked for the Warner Music Group. So sure. there was a famous uh, at the Warner Brothers Records office. Yeah. Uh, one time yeah. Prince did a, sh- a show yeah. on the patio. Yep. I was there. Were wow. you there? No, that was right before I came. Right before you came. As, yes. as a matter of fact, I was uh, working with Carmen Electra. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It was also kind of in the Prince orbit. Yeah, she orbit. was in that orbit. She was on the label, and uh, we did a record, and I was MD for her band, and that was during that time. Oh, when, interesting. When, and so that was right before I got in NPG, and I was just kind of like the opening act for him. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And so that's kind of how you got in the orbit yeah, then. absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Mike, you had a question. Yeah, I was curious about when you would go into performance situations, would he change things up on you? He'd change everything. <laughs> so as soon as you'd have so, a set list, so you'd we, go in. And I had to beg him like Prince I gotta have a set list because I had samples that I had to load like, as a keyboard player as a yeah. keyboard player yeah. I had three samplers because we maxed every one of them out so I'd have to have one loaded one preloaded get ready so when I switch it already there and then the next one loading as that one so they were like round robin kind of loading so I had to know ahead of time what, what the, heck, the, the yeah. next song was going to be so I could program that number to, to select the right bank of samples to come up. Because I'm playing like Claire Fisher string arrangements and some horn samples and some guitar parts that he wanted on top of his stuff. And so if I didn't know, it was chaos, man, because I had to uh, manually then go in and, and do that or keypad it in. I had a keypad on my on my uh, with a list of my songs and I just would punch the number song in. If he just jumped around and I had to just punch that number in and every keyboard would change. Every single one, at the, I had like 16 keyboards on stage. At the, like, oh my and goodness. every one of them would change to the right sound. And this was early days yeah. of this kind of configuring yeah, we, keyboards. It was bananas. We used a, a program called Opcode for my interfaces. Once I programmed it, it memorized, even if the computer went down, if I hit that pad, the interface would know to load the right bank of songs up. Right. That was like essential. You couldn't even do it without it. So, so again, was, you're loading samples. So, so yeah. you have computer drives. And, yeah. and in those days, you're talking yeah. the early to mid-90s. Yeah. Stuff was slow. It was super slow. And, and you know what's crazy is I got myself in a world of trouble because, you know, man, I'm a, I'm a tech geek. I'm a super geek. And uh, actually, when I joined Prince, you know, Prince used to come see me when I was rehearsing with Carmen. He just would marvel over, like, I had these two keyboards uh, that one was a sampler, a Roland S50, and one was a Roland yeah. D50. And he would just marvel over. He says, dude, you only have two keyboards. Like, he'd look at my little minuscule <laughs> setup and say, you only have two keyboards. But he said, it's the fattest sound I've ever heard. He said, how do you get that much sound out of just, like, two keyboards? I said, Prince, because that's all I have. 
Right. And, exactly. and so I know every nuance of this keyboard and how to get every inch of whatever it can do out of it. That's the name of the game. We've got to take a quick commercial break. We're talking to Morris Hayes from the New Power Generation. It's Pop Tech Radio. We're coming right back. On the track, even one hundredth of a second decides who wins and who loses. That's why Bridgestone uses advanced racing technology to create their fastest street legal replacement tire yet. The new Bridgestone Potenza RE71R. Engineered with an innovative hydro evacuation surface and unique tread compounds, the new Potenza RE71R is designed to give you maximum grip and ultimate cornering on or off the track. Bridgestone is changing the game in tire performance. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. This show is presented in part by Bridgestone. We're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. Now, here's your host. And we are back. That, of course, is Prince, the most beautiful girl in the world. And that was the new power generation. Morris Hayes from the NPG is with me. Yes. Talking keyboards. And Mike Castanon from NAM. We were talking about the juggle routine that you did with all of your keyboards back in the day before a lot of that stuff was yeah. really like it is today, yeah. where you have tons of hard drive space, you yeah. have the ability to quickly <clears throat> change between stuff. So you guys were doing that stuff early on, really pushing the gear to the max. It was bananas, and I, I really made a problem for myself because me being a tech geek, what happened was Prince saw me one day uh, rehearsing uh, with my band to play at his club, and what I did was I had a, on my sampler, I would take these bits of other songs. There was a dance song uh, from a band called TKA, and it was a dope a little loop. And mm -hmm. I put that on a Prince track on 17 Days. Oh. And he heard it and flipped out. I got a call from Levi Caesar, his guitar player and one of his producers. He said, dude, what did you do? Like, Prince is like, stop the presses. He's like, I just saw Morris playing one of our songs with some loop. He says, we have to do that. So after that point, everything Prince did, he said, you know, he said he was playing it out of his keyboard. He says, I don't want Tommy to do it. He says, I want Michael Bland to do it in the drums. So they had to create a rig that would just that they could trigger the drum loops so they could play over the top of the loops now. Oh, wow. and that and they completely redid their rehearsal, redid all of the songs with this technique in it. And it was that way from time that I came until Prince left. Is that right? Yeah. It was that's the way it was from then on. Wow, and, and you so brought that in. What happened was when I came, I just told him, I said, Prince, dude, your gear's antiquated. I was like, I got these rolling S760 samplers, you know, 750s, and they were like so much more powerful than the Emacs's that he was using. And he says, Oh, okay, well then fix it. And then when he saw what he could do, he says, Oh, then if you can do that, you can do this, and like basically double my work. And so I, my mouth got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and so now we had to like design these arrays that just like had these hard drives. And all of these things, once he found out the, what I could put in it, he says, oh, we're going to do this. The sky is the limit now. Wow. So it just, and this was, this was 20 plus years ago. Yeah. Early days yeah. of sampling technology yeah. and rack mounted stuff and arrays and hard drives right. and all that stuff. It was bananas. And when you talk, we were working with samplers on had 16 megs of RAM in it. So 32 megs. And so we had to like, you know, stack things on top of each other. And I remember one at Bobby Z came in the rehearsal and he heard what I was doing. He said, you know what? He said, this is what Prince wanted to be doing back in the 80s, but it just wasn't available. The right. tech wasn't available. The technology wasn't available. And I available. said, dude, we're already stretching this. He wants something <laughs> beyond this right now. <laughs> that's right. And that's why he was Prince. Yeah. Well, and how did you learn the tech as a keyboard player? Because 
you're being asked not only to be excellent musician, but now you're also being asked to be a tech guy. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot to learn. Yeah, but it's because I didn't have a lot of money. So I was a guitar center dreamer. I just would go down there <laughs> and oogle a gear and just like, oh, man, one day, yeah. one day I'll have this piece. But I would study the piece. And then if I ever got a chance to get my hands on it, I had ah, it. You it knew just ahead like, of time. boom. I knew what it could do. I had already studied the specs. I already knew, like, man, one day I'm going to get enough money to get one of these things. And when I do, I, know, I already know how to run it. Wow. You know? That's fantastic. What a wonderful experience. And the new power generation, that was really pretty much, there was, there was a break in the middle, but all, yeah. essentially almost from 1990 till his passing, that was pretty much yeah, his band. Yeah, that was, it just changed people. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like the P-Funk thing. It just, yes. uh, there was this incredible amount of musicians that over time came through the unit. I was just fortunate enough to be in most of the incarnations of it. I think almost every incarnation of it. Well, I'm sure there point. was a reason that happened. Well, you know, I, I like to think it's like it's the puppy in the woods. So you're like, yeah, get him out of there. Get, bring him along. I don't <laughs> no, know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> and you were you were there um, at the Super Bowl performance yeah. with oh, the rain. The and I mean, we talk about, Super Bowl about stress, right? Bro, uh, that, but I have to tell you, the NFL... It's the biggest show in town, and they mm-hmm. had a contingency plan for the contingency plan. Yeah, I bet. It, it was every, there was no stone left unturned. I never seen tech like that. They had stuff like, because I'm like, we're plugging in computers. My keyboards I was using at that show were like two computers, and it was raining. And, they, and we had like power. So, but the power even locked so that it didn't get wet, and so did the stuff. I was like, what is that? And they're like, yeah, that's the power coupler. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> It's like the NFL don't, I mean, they spared no expense and no, because everything has to work. And so these guys had fail safes for everything, and it was it was amazing. Well, you guys delivered on that show. It was was unbelievable. There's a great YouTube YouTube video of talking to the NFL executives about what was going on. Oh, yeah. The only time it had ever rained for a Super Bowl. The only time. And I remember them telling Prince, I was standing there because, you know, I'm an MD and I'm I'm trying to make sure they don't electrocute this dude. I'm like making sure, like, make sure when he touches that mic, he does an arc on this thing. Right. So... He's telling the guys, like, yeah. He's like, can you make it rain harder? And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yes. I, that's, right. They said that line, in the yeah. video. Exactly. So with the last about a minute or so we have, let's tell us about the NPG mm-hmm. and your own personal projects. Well, I mean, we're doing some dates now, man. You know, mm-hmm. since Prince passed, man, it's, you know, it's been a thing that when 2016, when we did the thing in uh, at St. Paul, it, 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 a lot of fans really, like, loved that, man. It was a, a kind of a healing moment. And it's been that way for us, man. And we just wanted to take that to the fans. And so that's what we're doing. We're doing dates at the NPG with our new nice. singer, McKenzie. And I'm working on a project that I started in China when I was living in China for a while called World Symphony for Peace. And it's just like basically Anthony Bourdain for music. Oh, wow. You just go around and you commune with people and you play music. Nice. And if folks want to find out more about your goings-on, do you have a website or Instagram? Yeah, they got a worldsymphonyforpeace.org. And then, of course, the New Power Generation. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, all social media. And on our website. It's you, all there. You're t- touring all over the world, All right? over the world, yeah. Fantastic. Most recently in New York, I Most think. Most recently in New York, and then we were like Japan and Australia, and then now we got uh, some dates Russia? in the States. Uh, Russia, yeah. It was, that nice. was bananas. Yeah. Keeping, the, keeping it alive. We appreciate it. Morris Hayes, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having Pleasure, me. man. Pleasure. All right. We're coming back, folks, from NAMM. Stay right where you are. Too far behind, because baby, this kind of beauty has got no reason to ever be shy, because honey, this My dad is a proud doer, always building, repairing, or maintaining something. He relies on Craftsman tools, and I do the same. Today, Craftsman mechanics tools, metal storage, and lighting are available from your favorite retailers. But that's only the beginning. A full line of retooled and refined products are on the way. 
Find your favorite store at Craftsman.com. And stay tuned for more big news from this trusted American brand. Ocean blue, what have I done to you? Cut so deep, yet growing through and through. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. This show is presented in part by Bridgestone. We're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. Now, here's your host. We are at NAMM 2019. We are, of course, across the street from Disneyland. Mike Castanon joining me, as always, at the NAMM show. He's got his Mickey Mouse ears on. You're happy to be at the happiest place on earth, aren't you? Always, every year. Yes. Every year. I'm not sure which is, uh, you know, the happier place here or at NAM or, or across, across the street. street. That's yeah. right. <laughs> well, we're at NAM today. I think that's more fun. Uh, we've got a repeat guest. We had him on last year. He's the UK product specialist for Universal Audio. He is Tom Waterman. Tom, good to have you back. Hello, gents. Thanks for having us. You come from cloudy, rainy the UK, and here it is sunny and 80 degrees in California. I know, yeah. I'm going to Disneyland later. It's going to be great. Oh, you are? I'm not. Oh, well, I'm I? I don't know. You guys you are should. tempting me. You're like, Disneyland's pretty good. Have you been good. before? <laughs> I haven't here, no. Oh. I've been to the Euro Disney. you got to go to this one. Yeah. Maybe. I, I have time on Sunday, maybe. <laughs> All right. It's either looking at gear or or looking Disneyland. at castles and princesses and like I guess did I? <laughs> go, go go over there for a couple hours there you go go for a couple hours yeah. hey let's talk about universal audio because sure. you guys and I we I think we talked about this a little bit last year you guys really epitomize the interesting dichotomy of this show which is a reverential look back to the past mm-hmm and also looking forward with super advanced technology for recording to the future and that's yeah. A lot of people sort of do that, but you guys really do it well. Universal Audio founded by Bill Putnam Sr., kind of a legend in the recording business in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, company formed 58, I think. Uh But he'd been building studios already and recording from the late 40s in Chicago, then moved out and sort of became the engineer for, I guess, the Rat Pack eventually. So all the Sinatra, Bing Crosby, all that sort of ilk of people. And he'd been building studios. And I think in that era, you had to build equipment. Nobody made Nobody recording made. equipment, right? Yeah. yeah, maybe you had some recording stocks or maybe, you know, uh, obviously vinyl machines or things to cut records into, mm-hmm. you know, and eventually tape and magnetic recording. But other than that, to get signals to and from artists, if you know what I mean, you had to build that stuff. So that's what we did. And that's where the company's history comes from, you know. And then fast forward to the late 90s, Bill Putnam Jr., yeah, and his brother, I believe. Yeah, it's actually a, it's still a family business, you know. Although we're now, you could see us as like a, I guess like a Silicon Valley tech company totally. in a way. Yes. But really, it's still a family-owned business, set up and you know effectively refounded in the late '90s by sons who wanted to continue the legacy and fill the boots of of their dad, of the dad, yeah, which is awesome, who had passed away by then. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and so many of those early pieces that he built, of course, were are super collectible now. Mm-hmm. You guys are making hardware and software versions of the old stuff. Yeah. But also much, 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 much more. Much more, yeah. I mean, we when the company reformed, and it's quite interesting because at this show, we've just launched something called the Custom Shop, mm-hmm. which is now a small manufacturing facility in Santa Cruz where we're based. Which is near Silicon Valley, as a matter of fact. E- exactly, yeah. But this is kind of where, I think it's where the guys grew up. So this is just down the road from Bill Jr.'s house now. It's where we're still making all the analog equipment. So we still make tube preamplifiers for recording uh-huh. and compressors and limiters that you would put on even radio broadcast or dialogue or yeah. you know anything from vocal voiceover work all the way through to people like Frank Sinatra singing. 
and we still build those by hand in America. Amazing. And now we have a new custom shop where we make them. So it's kind of, we, I guess we're siphoning off the hand-built small batch stuff, yeah. you know, to make way for more and more of the other stuff, you know, but that we can continue the two things, the two themes, as you mentioned, you know, the sort of reverential nostalgia theme and then the sort of bleeding edge tech theme. Right. They can run side by side. When the company reformed in the late 90s, they started off by reissuing the analog equipment. It was almost like a, hey, we can still do this. The brand's still around, mm -hmm. and all these things you've relied on for the last 40 years, I guess, or maybe 30 years, we can still make by hand. And so that's exactly what Bill did. And then what was so clever was that within a couple of years of that, he'd been studying at Stanford University and doing engineering, and he approached the research center there, and they started taking these analog pieces of equipment from the 50s and modeling them into digital. So we end up with emulations or true yeah. sort of mathematical models of these things. And now we have, I think, well over 160 different bits of software on the platform, and we emulate everything from Fender guitar amps to Marshall Plexis to famous compressors like the Fairchild from, you know, very made famous by the Beatles at Abbey Road, really, yes. you know. Uh, pretty much name a piece of recording equipment that defined a famous album, and we have an emulation of that now. In software. In software, yeah. Which is amazing. And, and you uh, seemingly, whatever somebody wants, right? If, if you want the hardware, if you want the, the analog pieces, you've got it. If you want the software mm -hmm. emulations, you've got it all. Yeah, um, we, we're not sort of, I don't think we started out trying to replace the analog. We right. still make it, you know, and a, a lot of, high-level studios will make the choice it might be per record per artist there might be a preference it's, it's a very subjective industry right this sure. is music is taste it's yes it's one person hears differently to the next no i don't think anyone hears exactly the same um, but things become classic for a reason i think because they're good enough that so many people use them yeah and so we've effectively enabled all these guys who relied on pieces of equipment to transition from big studios into their computers with our hardware. The beauty of our platform, I think I might have explained this last year, but we use something called a DSP platform, a digital, digital signal, signal processor. Yeah, yeah, but they're actual silicon chips. So effectively our, our software is protected and running within oh. a, a, an, its own ecosystem and it's a secured ecosystem. And the benefit of that is that we can work with all the original manufacturers who made the analog equipment to get a, a relationship, a partnership. So our software won't ever go out unless it's effectively signed off by all these partners. So if we do a Fender guitar amp, we work with Fender, and they will only let that go to the public once it's been approved to sound like a Fender. Mm -hmm. And because the system's secure, we've, we don't get cracked or hacked. So we, we have a very stable platform which we can use to kind of bring all these classics back to life. Well, I look at it like we're sort of a curated preservation society. You know, we kind of yeah. we kind of keep all these pieces of classic gear alive, alive for everyone. Yeah, yeah, you can use them in your apartment with your laptop. That's awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to Two Door Cinema, Sun, on the way out. And we're going to talk a little bit about that band when cool. we come back. And some other cool stuff with our good friend Tom Waterman coming over from the UK. Stick with us. We're coming right back from NAMM 2019. It's Pop Tech Radio. Weather Advisory is an invitation to own the roads in the Dodge Charger, America's only four-door muscle car with all-wheel drive. To take the winter by storm in a Dodge Durango, the most powerful SUV with all-wheel drive in its class. And to burn some rubber and melt the snow in the Dodge Challenger, the first all-wheel drive muscle coupe. 
Don't miss the Dodge President's Day event. Based on 2019 Ward's Miss High Sport Utility Vehicle Segment. Based on Ward's Middle Specialty Vehicle Segment. Excludes other FCA US LLC vehicles. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio, your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Now, here's your host. All right, we're back. It's NAMM 2019. Mike Etchart here for Pop Tech Radio with Mike Castanon, hanging out in lovely Anaheim, sunny Anaheim. Our good friend Tom Waterman, who's a UK product specialist from Universal Audio, and he is also enjoying the sun. Uh, and speaking of sun, that last song is Two Door Cinema. We played the first version in the first segment, and that is a special newly recorded version. That's uh, right. With you guys. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously we've talked about the history of UA a little bit there and what we do. We have this whole platform of what we call recording interfaces or audio interfaces yes. for computers. So we've been doing these for seven, nearly eight years. And uh, what, what it allows you to do is to connect microphones or guitars to your computer through this interface box. And if you're recording on your computer, you do need an interface of some sort. Yeah, exactly. That's how you get into the, that the is system, your, so to speak. Yeah, that's the front door and the back door to your house. And you can plug house. a microphone yeah. in or, a, or an instrument cable in, and that's how you basically get get into the recording studio, exactly. so to speak. Exactly, your, yeah. Yes. They're, they're, they're effectively the first item you buy once you've bought a computer if you'd like to get into modern recording. You know, previously you'd buy a tape machine and a microphone now you would probably buy an interface then a microphone yes, that's right that's you right. know and the apollo series can we just say they're the shizzle i mean you, they, can, you can totally say that they yeah. are well let's just say i have lusted after one i don't have one yet but they oh, we, are we can amazing fix that. well then i will let you fix that <laughs> they are remarkable pieces of gear they really are yeah yeah so this is a new version that is or a new edition i should say yeah we just launched the apollo x so we have a range of desktop interfaces and also rack mount interfaces so we have something called the arrow which is a actually i do for what you guys do mm -hmm. in interviewing and podcasting. It's a small little bus-powered interface that will sit with a laptop and enable you to record. Um, you know, and I've noticed actually quite a few of the really big yes. podcast shows are using Apollo to, to do it. Yeah. And so we have another one called the Apollo Twin. And then we previously had some uh, Rack Apollos, which we've just superseded with a new range called the Apollo X. So we just launched four new rack mount interfaces, Ooh. so 19-inch rack mount. They go from two microphones inputs to four to eight and then one without microphone inputs but 16 channels effectively I see so they range from around two thousand dollars to about three and a half thousand dollars so it's a premium product but we've taken them to the best specifications on the market right now in yeah. terms of audio performance but the thing is other people make interfaces but what we do is an interface that then lets you get access to 160 different bits of gear and guitar right. amps and tape machines and yes. reverbs and, and because the interface runs that on its hardware. And that's and that's like the key to the kingdom, isn't it? It's the keys, yeah, because it doesn't tax your computer yeah. and you can then perform through it so you get a better performance, you get all these uh, these effects, you know, to sort of influence your creativity quickly. It's like creating an artist's palette and then we give you an unlimited color supply that's, close it, to that. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's so remarkable to have that stuff available. It really is. And, you know, we're, you're talking about a premium pro product costing, you know, let's say $2,000. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not an insignificant amount of money. But if you're of a certain generation, and Mike and I are of that generation where you know, in the 1980s, you're paying $100 an hour to go into a recording studio. In 1980 dollars, mm -hmm. um, it cost a fortune to record in those days. And when you look at what you get now, yeah. for that kind of money, it is absurdly affordable and 
and to say nothing of the quality. I mean, it's right. unreal. What, the, For the power, the power that's the, brought, you know, yes. when you mentioned premium, mm. that's what came to mind, right? Yeah. 2000 to 3500 it's like, that, that's it's not that not bad, much, really. Yeah. No, not, no. not for the capability <laughs> no. in the studio. And that's going to be in a professional recording studio as well anyway. Yeah, but you can yeah. get that for your house. Exactly. And, and we, I mean, we do come down to around the $600, $600 sure. range with the smaller desktop interfaces too. So you get a slice of that, you know, as you, as you come down. Um, and they, they all work the same way. They still have access to the same library of software. So, you know, any door you take brings you into the UA universe, if you know what I mean. Yes. But um, I don't know if I said this to you last year, but we had this sort of... Uh, I suppose it's like an analogy, really, but it, it's cheap compared to expensive gear and expensive compared to cheap gear. Well, there you go. But when That's your expensive line. gear used to be, you know, a $250,000 studio yes. and $1,000 a day or something called $2,000 a day, yes. we are in, insanely affordable, but when you compare it to just an interface on the market, it's the premium choice. But yeah. the offering is enough to, you know... It's pretty stunning. Yeah. It's pretty and it, stunning. And it, and it is growing every day. Right. The library yeah. keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. When you, but, you know, and, and to, to take people back to the old days, so not only did you did you have to you know buy the recording gear and the console and the microphones, then you had to have your collection of guitar amps. And mm-hmm. some guitar players want to use a Marshall or some people want to use a Fender. So not only do you have the recording side of it, but you've got the instrument side of it in there, the amplification, which is just... You couldn't dream this up back in those days. No. And now here we are, and the tools are so available, so relatively inexpensive. You got no excuse to, yeah. to jump in. I think I think it sort of mirrors the arc of the industry, though, because previously you'd have a studio owner that may invest the hundreds of thousands of dollars, but then the band would bring in their riders. So they'd bring their amps, yeah. they'd bring their guitar techs, they'd bring everything, and you'd have an engineer. They'd show up and press buttons. But now, you know, you are the guitar player, you are the engineer, yes. you are the studio owner. So if that's not all in your platform, then, well, you're just going to be you're, on an endless shopping list, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So that's what we do. And then with the Apollo X, a couple of months ago, we launched it in the UK, actually, on my home turf in Air Studios in the Lindhurst Hall, which oh, is... Lovely, lovely facility. Yeah. I mean, the hall is, it's a church effectively converted to a studio by George Martin. Yes. But it's pretty much the number one space for recording film scores. Yes. So to show off the, the performance we have on the new Apollo X range, we actually took, as we mentioned, Two Door Cinema Club, the band with Jack Knife Lee producing, and we worked with London Metropolitan Orchestra, a 54-piece orchestra and a composer called Davide Rossi. He composed a wonderful arrangement for orchestra to go along with the band. So we actually recorded the band and then overdubbed 54-piece orchestra. Wow. And we actually have it on the booth at the show in in 7.1, so you can hear it in surround sound as well. Because with the Apollo X, we now have surround sound monitoring, which is something we didn't have on the platform. Yeah, so you can do it. You know, it's great for film score work and composition in surround, game audio, but also music stuff. So... It was, it was just a really great project to showcase how effectively like it's the most high-end recording situation you could be in i mean you imagine the the dollars ticking away every of minute course. with an orchestra that's right and then it's a stress test for the apollo because it just it just has to work and it yeah. and it was flawless so tom if folks want to see that session it's actually on youtube is it not on it, on the universal audio channel yeah if you just have a, a google search for universal audio artist session two-door cinema club you will find the track called Sun with the orchestra. Perfect. All right, well, Tom Waterman, product specialist in the UK in sunny California from Universal Audio. Thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Thanks for having us. It's always great to have you. We're going to do it again next year, okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm here. We'll do it. Promise. All right. We're coming right back, folks. It is Pop Tech Radio. I'm far away.
There are many words you could use to describe the new Kia Stinger GT. Stunning, stylish, sporty. The word breathtaking, however, isn't just an adjective. It's a warning. Because while the ability to go 0 to 60 in 4.7 seconds might take your breath away, going 60 to 0 with powerful Brembo brakes will help you catch it again. The 2018 Kia Stinger GT, fueled by youth. Stinger GT rear-wheel drive using launch control with factory-equipped 19-inch wheels. Results may vary. Do not attempt. Always drive safely. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. This show is presented in part by Bridgestone. We're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. Now, here's your host. All right, folks, it is Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart, Mike Castanon, hanging out at the NAM show. We have come to the end of the first episode already, Mike. Can you believe it? Oh, it's fantastic. What a great uh, few segments that we have. Oh, we've had some great segments, and we're going to continue uh, with coverage from NAMF in a, in a couple more episodes, but the, this episode is wrapping up. And uh, by the way, that was Greta Van Fleet that you just heard, a great new song, and I uh, love that tune. Uh, and boy, it's it's great to hang out at NAM. We're having fun. We're seeing a lot of old friends, people we've known before. We get, you know, we've done this for so long now. We have repeat customers, so to speak. We have a lot of guests we kind of turn to for for their opinions on what's going on here. And every year, it seems to get there's more people north, somewhere north of a hundred thousand people this year. Um, I don't know if you can hear that in the in the microphones, but we're listening to some sort of jazz being played in the backgrounds there's there's so many artists and musicians here lots of them playing all around the uh, the event there's concerts outside there's demos going on it's they use the word cacophony and that is not incorrect there's it is a cacophony it is a cacophony i mean in, in kind of a good way but it's just nuts here sometimes and so but it's fun and that's why we come we've been here for so many years doing this on the radio and it's a treat. And as musicians, there's no place I'd rather be. Oh, I'm telling you, what a what a treat it is. It's been, you know, with Tom Waterman, Universal Audio, and, and of course, Morris Hayes, will you talk about yeah, uh, some... Yeah, the musical director for Prince, for crying out loud. Yes, so we had some uh, fun fun stories, of course, around that. So he's somebody new to the program. Yeah, new to the program, absolutely. For us, yeah. and appreciate him uh, attending. And, and, then, and then, of course, as you mentioned, some of our friends from the years past as well. Absolutely. Well, and it's fun to hear, you know, what, what, uh, what Morris was talking about, you know, the, the, how the technology has changed and how... You know, in those early days of samplers, that was those were those were a, a new thing in the day where basically you'd sample certain sounds and instruments, and but it was computers, it was computer hard drives, and, f- and they used floppy disk drives back in those days. You remember floppy disk drives from computers? And I, yeah, I don't. That's what you would load. These I think I still have a few in my closet. I bet I do, I do too. As a matter of fact, so you know these guys were pushing the technology in in the in the very early nineties, and it was pretty pretty early days for that stuff, using computers and keyboards together. And, and now, of course, it's, it's so common on, in, for touring acts, and it's, it's really amazing how, um, how that is kind of, again, advanced to where we are today. So oftentimes when you see you know, artists live, a lot of the backing vocals or, or some orchestral instruments that they're not able to recreate live, all of that stuff is samples, you know, used samples. I, I recently saw Paul McCartney live, and you know he's able to pull off his keyboard player all of those great Beatles songs, a lot of the horns and the, the funny sounds and stuff, and it's all saved as sam- sample memory. Very common today, but boy, back in the early 90s, that was cutting-edge technology and slow, slow and expensive. 
Yes, it was really interesting to have that juxtaposition of what, you know, the demands of Prince on on Morris back in, like you say, in the 90s when he had two keyboards and and how that evolved. And then we talked with Tom about about some of the technologies that are available uh, today to consumers at what was some of these price points that are a few hundred dollars? Yeah, a few hundred dollars. And, and crazy expensive in that world is a couple thousand dollars, which is not insignificant, obviously. But when you compare to what it used to be, you know, and, and you, would, you could pay $2,000 for a single guitar amp, and now you can buy a, a device that has a library of sounds that go all the way back, you know, to the beginning of guitar amplifiers, and they're all there. It's like having a room full of the classic guitar amplifiers or the classic studio uh, effects processors or all that stuff. It's now digitized. It is it is modeled. It is all available to the home recording enthusiast for almost no money. Yes. Yeah, we are lucky. We are lucky to be alive. We are lucky to be around this kind of technology. And if you're a music creator or involved in the music industry in any way, shape, or form, all the cool stuff is here. And I'm ready to go hit the show floor and check it all out. Yes, and, and how interesting we're listening to some accordion in the background. Accordion in the background, exactly. And I want to, in fact, I'm looking for an accordion, Old as a matter of fact. Absolutely. So they are back. They are cool again. So on that note, we need to wrap up this edition of Pop Tech Radio. Thanks for listening in, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us as we are hanging out at the NAM Show in 2019 here in Anaheim at the Anaheim Convention Center. Don't forget, we are podcast everywhere. Wonderful podcasts are available, including on iTunes. So if you want to go back and revisit some of our older broadcasts, and certainly we've been doing NAM Show broadcasts for many, many years. They are all there online somewhere. So you can check us out there. I also want to thank my good friend Cody Castleberry. He is my producer and engineer and scheduler. He made all of our interviews and, and this show run really, really smoothly. So thanks for listening in, folks. For Pop Tech Radio, I'm Mike Etchart. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next time. Listen to more episodes and check out our blog on poptechradio.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Pop Tech Radio. The big news from Subaru is the all-new three-row Ascent. It's the biggest SUV from Subaru ever. There's room for seven or eight passengers with a choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. It'll tow up to 5,000 pounds. It has the interior space you need for your whole crew. And it gets you where you want to go with the safety of a Subaru, including standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. The all-new three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. Maximum towing capacity varies by trim level, and trailer brakes may be required. See your retailer for details.